Father, thank you for uh, our time together today. May it be glorifying to you. And just asking, Father, for your mercy as we study the book of Deuteronomy and, and look at this uh, chiasm that has been set up. Uh, praying, Father, for your mercy uh, to enlighten our understanding. And we thank you that the Holy Spirit can illuminate it for us. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Okay. So if you have your Bible, you want to have your Bible maybe off to the side so we can see what's going on. Yes. You don't have one? Okay, no, that's fine. That's fine. But let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to uh, Deuteronomy 10. And remember, the big thing about Deuteronomy 10 is Moses is recounting the reestablishment of the Mosaic Covenant. The Mosaic Covenant is a conditional covenant, and before Moses could even get down off the mountain in order to present the tablets to them, they had already broken it uh, in a bad way. So, hey Mitch, I have the Elmo hooked up, by the way. And um, let me see here. I want to make sure I got this right because... Uh, wait a second. Whoa. Ah, there we go. Yeah. Now make it bigger. Mm. Are good? See it? Tell you what, guys, it's hard because of page. Um, but here's what we're going to do is we are going to read. Let's see. Does that help us? There we go. So you can see some of that right there. This is the basic structure of what we have written down so far. Uh, and here's what I've done for you is uh, in reiterating the covenant with them, uh, what is going on is there's going to be like a commissioning that takes place. God is going to commission in the reestablishment of this covenant. He is he, Even though Israel has broken the opportunity to have fellowship with Yahweh, he, in his mercy, is opening up the way for them to have fellowship again. He is still pursuing after Israel in hopes that they would pursue after him. Uh, I don't know if you guys keep a prayer book or a prayer journal. One of the best things I've ever done in my life. One of my prayers constantly week in and week out for this church is that we would be in hot pursuit of God hot pursuit of God, because that is everything that the Bible is about from beginning to end, is pursuing Him. Some people think that when you come to faith in Christ, that's enough. For your salvation, it is. But to understand what it is to experience God's interaction in your life, to understand that when you call out to Him and you're constantly petitioning Him with prayers, and the fact that He is looking to answer, and He is orchestrating situations so that it will be answered according to His will. Those are beautiful and wonderful things. Now, before we move forward, is anybody cold? Everybody good? Jamie's cold. Are you cold? A little cold? Could you bump up the heat maybe one notch back there? Don't tell Sheila, but I don't have it locked anymore. So, <laughs> so now let's read this. Let's read uh, Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 through 22. And then we're going to go through this page and start lining out the chiasm, okay? Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you? And everybody see this word require? The idea here is actually the word ask. What does he ask of you? Now, watch this. Number it closely, okay? In fact, do something like a heavy underline or something like that of these things. But to 
fear and go ahead and write it in uh, Yahweh, your Elohim. Remember, we are dealing with Yahweh, your Elohim. That little section in the front of your Bibles, it talks about why they translated things the way that they did. Take the time to read that. It's very helpful. Yahweh, your Elohim. Notice, to walk in all his ways and love him and to serve Yahweh, your Elohim with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the Lord's commandments. Notice the word keep. And to keep the Lord's commandments and His statutes, which I am commanding you today for your good. Now notice, it's in the form of a question. This is what Yahweh is asking of these people. Let's be really clear about this. And I know you've heard me say it over and over. Uh, The reason why I'm a broken record is because this seems to be so missing in a lot of places i've actually heard people say and teach well in the old testament the jews were saved by keeping the law that is impossible if jews were saved by keeping the law then that means that some of them some of them didn't need the day of atonement you see what i'm saying that makes no sense whatsoever because they had sin and sin was the issue they had to be taken care of The law of God is about intimacy with him. It's about fellowship, friendship, walking with him. And that's what he desires. So notice what he's saying. This is what he is asking from you in this respect if you are to walk with him. Now let me ask you a question. If you look at these words, fear the Lord your God, walk in all of his ways, love him, serve him, keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes. Why? Why is that sequence of things? I mean, this really seems pretty heavy on God's end, doesn't it? I mean, if this is a contract, if this is a covenant that's being made, God really comes out okay on all this, doesn't he? I mean, he's getting all the benefit from this. Is that true? No. Why is that? I mean, when somebody would look at this, you know, what's he require of you? Fear him. Walk in his ways. Keep his commandments. Serve him. Love him. Do this, do this, do this, do this. Let me ask you this question, and I'm going to go ahead and let you know it's a trick question. Is this burdensome? I think that was my child. Is this burdensome? Why? Okay, so why? Okay, I'm going to go ahead and tell you I disagree with you, but it's not because I don't like you. I like you. Why would God command something if it's impossible to do? I mean, he's, he's, I mean, he's, these two verses right here are pretty long and lined out, aren't they? I mean, this is a lot of stuff. Fear him. What does fear mean? Respect him, reverence him. Can God snap your neck if he wanted to? Okay, so notice, it is in awe. It is in awe that you are in of the fact that he holds your life. That's a good thing. That's not a bad way to view him. He holds your life. He loves you deeply. Notice, to walk in all of his ways. What does it mean to walk? Does that mean mosey? No, maybe not. What does it mean to walk? When the Bible uses the word walk, what does it mean? To walk with Jesus? That's right. The fact that your life is lived in such a way as to where it is with him always. In fact, this would go back to the idea of what we saw in Deuteronomy 6. Does everybody remember Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5? Everybody remember this? Turn back with me real quick. 
Let's make sure that we hit it. Deuteronomy 6. This is the Shema. Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and walk and, uh, sorry, yeah, and walk uh sorry and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up you shall bind them as signs to your hand and they shall be as frontlets to your forehead and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates does that sound similar so why would god command something that's impossible to do would god command something that's impossible to do what's that Okay, so, so we would say, okay, God is commanding us something that's impossible to do so that we would depend on Him. So in essence, what we're saying is, is that God wants to sit high bar, unrealistic requirements before His people so that they will sin in not doing what He said and therefore have a greater need for Him. Are you sure? Because that's what you just said. Now, we didn't say anything about sinning, did we? But notice, it wouldn't that be by implication what happens? right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, correct? So we would say if he's commanding these things, fear, walk, keep, love, serve, and we're not able to do them and yet he's commanded them, we would fall short, right? Let's try a different answer. How about the reason why he commands them is because they can be done? Well, not by ourselves, of course. Of course not by ourselves. God never said, do these things by yourself. They are all done unto who? Him. So if He is the central point of worship, and understand, I get we run into the ramifications of, well, this is speaking to Israel. It's not speaking to the church. And how in the world do they do that? Guys, they weren't short on revelation of God. They did not have the indwelling Holy Spirit like we do, which here's the thing. If they didn't have the Holy Spirit and these things were commanded of them, and we do have the Holy Spirit, and and if you go into the Bible, New Testament, you will find these same types of things are talked about and how to have intimacy with Him, then how much more advantageous and responsible are we in order to be walking in this way? Why is that? Because it's about intimacy. It is about intimacy. Notice that he said he doesn't say, and don't ever sin again. Everybody notice that? It's going to happen, right? We're going to sin, and if we're part of Israel, we're going to have to make a sacrifice for that sin to atone for it, so that that idea of the fact that sin costs a life is very much in the forefront of our thinking. However, that doesn't mean, okay, now that I've sinned, and here's what a lot of people do who are Christians. Now that I've sinned in this way, and it was a really, really big sin, I can't walk with the Lord anymore. He must not love me. No, not at all. He totally loves you. He didn't take his Holy Spirit from you. He didn't remove eternal life from you. You can still walk with him. So here's the thing. But you fear the Lord your God, living your life in reverence to him walking in all of his ways. Every decision that you make has his ideals, his principles, his commands before you. Anybody ever made you mad? Why didn't you kill him? Sin! You knew there were consequences. 
you knew that that would have penalty attached to it. And if it wasn't from the state, and somehow you got away with it, you would still have to deal with God. Why? Because the conscience can incarcerate you, that's why. Because the Holy Spirit will get you. So notice, one of the things as believing Christians that keeps us from sinning is the fact that we know that God is there. We know that God hates sin. We know that if we were to walk in His ways, that is putting everything that was in the vicinity of our control, and we'll use this word, stewardship, comes under His lordship. I hate the whole concept of lordship salvation, that you've got to make Jesus Lord of your life, confess all your sins, turn away from everything that's wrong, blah, 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 all the stuff that you have to do for Jesus to accept you. That is heresy. However... Our sanctification in our life, that's what sanctification is. Walking with the Lord is Him bringing to our hearts and minds areas of our life that are not under His authority and encouraging us, prompting us, and loving us to that point. That's what He wants for them. All of existence to have Him at the center. All of it. Now this isn't egotistical of God. Does anybody know why this is not a severe dose of egotism that Yahweh is just throwing up all over there? Worship me, love me, walk with me, do what I say. Why is that not egotism? He's the creator. And we are all what? His creation. Automatically he has, and here's where it kills people, authority. That's where the rubber meets the road, and that's what we don't like. He has the authority. All authority is His. The sooner that we grasp that here, the sooner it will penetrate here, the sooner it will manifest here. His Lordship. He's always Lord. It doesn't matter whether I make Him Lord or not. He is Lord. You see what I'm saying? Me making Him Lord over things in my life is because I've come to a greater understanding of who He is And his truth affects my reality. So notice, love him, serve him, keep the Lord's statutes. This is all the A section. Now watch how it moves into B. Behold, to Yahweh, your Elohim, belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Yet on your fathers did... Now watch this. What just happened here? What is it? Are we translating this wrong? Hold up. Hold the phone. No? For some reason it copied it weird. Microsoft Word. All right. So notice. Yet on your fathers did Yahweh... Look at this. Set His affection to love them. We love Him because He what? He first loved us. That's what we just got told. Notice that God chose by His free will to set His love on the Jewish people. That's what He desired to do in this situation. To set His affection on them, and He chose, notice that, chose, selected, they are choice ones of God, their descendants after them, even you above 
all peoples as it is this day. Now, I guarantee you this. I guarantee you sitting out in the middle of a wilderness, not having anywhere to permanently reside, didn't make them feel like that they were above all peoples at that time. Notice that the A section here gives you the command. The B section gives you motivation, reason. If you're going to worship something, you have to have a reason to worship it. Now, I'm going to dig into our closets a little bit. Somebody who is bold, share with me, please. What is something that you say that you would have worshipped in life that is not God? Doesn't have to be right now, but any time. Catherine, what do you think? Astrology. Why? Okay? And so you deemed it on a higher plane, right? There was something about what we are drawn to worship that says, I am claiming this as a greater, here's the word again, authority. Okay? Notice how, thank you for sharing that real quick. Notice that Yahweh turns it. Behold, to Yahweh, your Elohim, belong heaven. Okay? So that's cool enough, right? It's all his. He owns it. And what? The highest heaven. You know what that means? Past space beyond the universe everybody's seen these pictures of hubble telescopes and you know we just took a picture of all this you know somebody took a picture of a black hole recently there's a lot of controversy about it what's wrong with people what is the controversy about i don't read that junk what's it about oh right So people are mad that there was a bad picture taken of a black hole. I want to see people that were able to do it better, right? (laughs) You could have at least used this type of lens on your camera. What were you thinking? Good grief, the, 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 the arrogance of people, man. So anyway, notice. Belong the heavens and the highest heavens. Not only that, but he owns the earth and all that is in it. Okay? The cattle on a thousand hills and you got to milk them, right? So notice, you. Uh, I've got this video. If you've ever seen, uh, if you've ever read the Stranger on the Road to Emmaus, and it's talking about God's ownership as Creator, and he gives a real good illustration. He's in the middle of Papua New Guinea, and he asks this tribesman there about the paddle that he has. Where did you get this paddle? The tribesman tells him, "I carved this paddle. I found this tree. I cut it down." I got it all spliced out, and they're not using, like, you know, DeWalt stuff or anything like that, okay? They're using these primitive tools in order to mold this paddle because that paddle is important for his livelihood to get around where he needs to, beat his kids, whatever, okay? So he's got that. That's a joke. But anyway, if somebody came along, and he said, if somebody came along to you and grabbed your paddle and took it from you, what would you do? He said, I would grab it back. It is my paddle. Why is it your paddle? Because I made it. That's the idea. Why should the earth obey you, God? Because I made it. Why should the heavens declare your glory? Because I made it. You see, all this worship going on in heaven has its origin of the fact of creator. That's the idea. And this creator equation always trumps the creature desire it always puts unyielding authority on his shoulders and if he is the authority how many people here have bosses okay and so you are to be 
submissive, right? You have this job, you get this benefit, and you are to obey in this relationship. Now, why is that? If you obey well, now don't use the man-made corrupted stuff that goes on your work, and I'm not worried about water cooler talk, okay? But here's the idea. The ideal is, if you obey and you're doing a quality job, don't you move up? Isn't that the idea? Higher pay? More responsibility? I tell you this, they didn't, what's that? It's the ideal. Okay, you guys calm down. I see the fury. You guys are getting ready to go vote and it's not even time. (laughs) But that's the ideal. Now here's the thing. Did the business world just come up with that or did they get it from somewhere else? Does everybody realize that that's a principle that's originated in Yahweh himself? Right? He saves you freely by his grace. He brings you into relationship with him of, of no merit of your own whatsoever. That's just his love. He, he chose to set his love on Israel. But now that they were in this privileged and blessed relationship, it was now time to apply what the master was telling them. Why? Because it is going to lead to the greatest possible benefit they could have in the position that they're in. So notice this rationale, if you want to call the B section here, a rationale for why this is happening. Moses is painting reasons as to why the A section should be followed. Now we come to the middle point, the C section. So circumcise your heart. Stiffen your neck no longer. Notice that stiffen your neck is their present condition. Notice that circumcise your heart is a call to change. Now, hopefully that gives it a little bit better there. Let's talk about this. Present condition. Each one of us right now is in a present condition. Tabitha, let me see that book. Each one of us right now is in a present condition. You know what your present condition is with the Lord. Excellent quote. We are now and we will be in the future only as intimate with God as we really choose to be. Do you realize that every single person in this room right now, you are as close to Jesus as you want to be right now? Why is that? Well, here's the reason why. The cross broke down every obstacle. For the New Testament church age believer, access to him is complete. Curtain, gone. Sin, paid for. What else could be hindering us? There's something. What is it? Pride, that's part of it, but it actually originates into something bigger. Pride, selfishness, all these things. The self-life, wanting to live for ourselves. Want to be his own boss? Yes. We brought this word up over and over and over since I got here. Huh? No? Unbelief. Unbelief. In fact, here's the thing. If we sit here and we and we look at how Moses is structuring this, okay, wait a second. I gotta fear God, I gotta walk with God, I gotta love God, I gotta serve God, and to keep his commandments. Why should I do that? Well, before you ask that question, let me tell you why you should do that. 
Because to him belong the heaven and the highest heavens and the earth and all that's in them. And yet on your fathers, he set his affection on you. Over everybody else that he could have done that, he loved you. And he chose you to do great things, to be demonstrators of his truth to the entire world. That's the reason why. See, in our lives, Yahweh understands us more than I think we we give him credit. He understands that we need to be convinced We need to have a greater, a more superior truth, a greater motivation as to why we should do something. How many times did it ever work with your kids? Hey, go rake the leaves. Why? Because? Because I said so. And at that moment, you get to figure out whether your kid is in belief or unbelief. They either believe you have authority Or they don't believe that you have authority. And that's why when they don't get after it the first time, and you let them know, I thought you were going to go mow, or I thought you were going to go rake the leaves. They're never going to look at you and go, yeah, but I was thinking that there's a greater truth than your authority in this matter. Now that's what's going on. But even they don't know how to verbalize that. You see what I'm saying? They believe that what they want to do is greater than what you have asked them to do. And so now, that authority structure has to become more convincing to them. You can either get it done two ways, carrot or stick. You can either reward or discipline. Those are the two ways to make it happen. It's the same with this. Notice that the method that Yahweh chooses through Moses is, is to convince them not just of his greatness and his superiority as creator, but also as intimate and personal, having his love. Does everybody see that? Remember, when we use the word Yahweh, when we see in our Bibles all caps, L-O-R-D, sometimes we read that and we just like, oh yeah, cool, it says Lord. We move on. No, don't. Yahweh means I am. And he is establishing in that word, I am the self-existent one. I need nothing else to prosper myself, to continue, to be maintained. I'm lacking in nothing, and he needs nothing else. That's the idea. When we use that word Yahweh, that's what we're saying about him. And that's how he revealed himself to Moses. So especially when Moses is using it, it's got this certain impression that it has left on him of his humility, take off your shoes, this is holy ground, and he is there before this bush that is not consumed, and he reveals himself, I am that I am, that's who I am, Yahweh is the idea. So this this is not just something that's flipping here, this conviction needs to be solid. Well, notice this, the present condition, the divine assessment of the Israelite people is, you have a stiff neck. Now, we all know what that means, and that's why we take Tylenol, right? But for Israel, what does it mean? Makes me want to try to pop my neck now. What's that? What's it mean for Israel? I want to do it my way. I am stubborn. Anybody know anybody that's stubborn? No. Chuck has the smartest answer ever. No. There are some people that it's their way and they will fail repeatedly in the same direction just to not have to surrender to a better way. Everybody see that? 
Notice that's the problem. Israel's greatest problem is a surrender problem. And why in the world they would go after all these other gods and make all these other gods? Well, it was ingrained in Sometimes it sounds like psychology when people explain that. Well, it's ingrained in them. Well, that's what they were brought up in. Well, it's their mom's fault, you know, stuff like that. No, get rid of that stuff. They have had an experience of revelation with the Almighty God. Don't, don't baby them. They are completely culpable for their actions. So notice, their present condition, stiffen your neck, no longer. Stop it. And do what? Circumcise your heart. Notice that this is a call to change. Every one of us is as close to the Lord Jesus right now as we wish to be. How do we get closer? Stop stiffening your neck. Start circumcising your heart. Lord, search me. Is there any unclean way in me? Have you ever asked for the Lord to bring to you any sins that maybe you haven't dealt with with Him? That's helpful. That's cathartic. It gets a lot of junk out of the way. I don't know if we're going to get, we're probably not going to get through all this, but we'll pick it up in two weeks. We won't have Sunday school next week because of, do we have Sunday school next week? Okay, so we won't have it. Okay, so what? Yes, yes, we're all adults, so let's deal with it. And the same way that there would be a cutting and a pulling back of the foreskin is the same way that he's talking about here. The covering that you have placed over your heart, cut it and get rid of it. It would be the same idea we think as, uh, anybody ever tried to plant seeds and the, and the ground is just as hard as all get out and you're in there with the... You're like killing the ground in order to try to break it up. Why? Because you need it to be workable. No one goes out there and goes, this ground's as hard as a rock. You drop a seed and you hope for the best. That makes no sense. You're going to get exactly what you put out of that and that's nothing, okay? But to get in there and to do the hard spade work, of getting all that junk up. And here's what he's calling for. The call to circumcise your heart is the call to humility. He could have easily said, humble yourself before me. Stop going your own way. Now here's an interesting thing. We looked at the Isaiah 53 passage. And in verse 6, it talks about, we're each like sheep. We all go our own way. We're all doing our own thing. We're all wandering off, falling into pits all the time. That's what we do. Because we're all about us. We don't know any better. We're as dumb as a box of rocks, right? Kind of thing. Notice here what he's calling us to. Don't live like that. You don't have to. Don't let it be your way anymore. Submit yourself. Humble yourself. Bring yourself before God and say, God, all I want is what you want. Could you say that right now? Could you come to the Lord in prayer? And your prayer be, God, all I want is what you want. That's what makes the Psalms so impressive and so convicting. David had a relationship going on with the Lord. Good grief. Where he could say such things as, search me and know my heart. Try me and see if there is any impure way in me. You're asking for God, the Holy Spirit, to get in you and do some surgery. But notice, when all David cared about was pleasing the Lord, 
It was no big thing for him to ask that. He wanted God's work. We often think of growing closer to the Lord and the fact that we're going to become more unhappy for some reason, that it's going to be a downer. Oh, God's going to take this away. Good grief. Right? And we kind of, we kind of, we're so overwhelmed with what we're going to be parting with that we don't take the initiative to come to him when he's clearly calling us to, when he's clearly saying, no, no, stop stiffening your neck and circumcise your heart. Get with me. I promise you it's all fullness of joy. It's all joy. And there is no joy in this life. I promise you that. Let's not think for a moment that there's any of it found. You may be happy. You may be glad. You may even be elated or astonished or surprised at some points. But to talk about what joy is, God owns that word. Because it's only what he can give. And so when he's calling them to this, yes, he is calling for the people to have a radical societal change. Live like you've never lived before because your fellowship with me is going to make it a possibility. Does everybody see that? Yes? Okay, I want to make sure I'm not just talking. So notice, verse 17, for Yahweh, your Elohim, is the Elohim of Elohim. Everybody see that? In fact, this one right here should probably be tiny E. That one should be tiny E Elohim. Notice, he is God of gods. Let me see here to make sure that we're not going to hit a translational mess. Uh, Let's see here. God of gods, Lord of lords. That word Lord there is actually capital L, lowercase o-r-d. And that's Adonai, master. He is the master. He's not just God of gods. He is Lord of lords. Notice capital L, lower L. He is Adonai, master. The great, notice his descriptions, the mighty and the awesome Elohim who does not Show partiality or take a bribe. I love that. He doesn't take a bribe. No partiality. In other words, he is justice. He is justice. Connie, you're going through the attributes of God right now. Okay. And in, in, in A.W. Tozer in that book makes the, makes the case for the fact of it's not just that God... It's not only that God is just, it's that He is justice. He is the defining point of justice. Why? Because He can't be bribed, and He's not partial to anything. He does, as His inherent good pleasure, wills to do. Because that's what He is. Now notice after that, He executes justice. And real quick, uh, another argument that that book makes is the fact that justice... And righteousness are inseparable. When you talk about the justice of God, you are talking about the righteousness of God. Why is that? Because anything being brought to justice is brought to a standard. And that standard is right. And that right is only as God and His righteousness can dictate rightness. Does that make sense? Yes? Okay, good. 
Man, the attributes of God are, I love it. Good stuff. Good stuff. If you ever want a great study in the Bible, the attributes of God. Notice, he executes justice for the orphan and the widow. He shows his love. Oh, all the Republicans are freaking out now. He shows his love for the alien by giving him food and clothing. So show your love for the alien, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. Let that hang there for a moment, then you can deal with God later. Verse 20. Real quick, does everybody notice that verses 17, 18, and 19 come back around with more convincing reasons as to why what Yahweh says is right? Does everybody see that? Does everybody see that in the B section... It was the whole idea of because it belonged to him the highest heavens, the earth, all that's in it. He set his affection on you. He chose you above all peoples. Notice after that, it's talking about who he is. He's God of God, Lord of Lords, great, mighty, awesome. Doesn't show partiality, doesn't take a bribe, executes perfect justice. He has love for the people who you wouldn't think that he loves. Everybody see that? That's why it's B apostrophe. Because it's the parallel of the chiasm. And then notice here verse 20. Everybody see A apostrophe right there? Notice it brings it around again. You shall fear. Notice that was the first thing that was brought up in verse 12. Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require, ask from you, but to fear Yahweh your Elohim. We write that here. Yahweh your Elohim. Notice it says you shall serve. Did we see that word up there? We did. We saw serve at the end of verse 12. You shall serve him. Serve the Lord your God with all your heart. You shall serve him and cling to him. We didn't see that, but you know what? We'll take it. Cling to him. What does it mean to cling? Hold fast. Stick with him. Think of the idea of you're out in the ocean and you're throwing a raft. You don't go hoping to get over it, do you? You go. And you grab it for everything it's worth, otherwise you're going down. And it's the only thing that is holding you up. Notice that. It says here, and you shall, uh uh-oh, guys, we just got permission to do naughty things. We shall swear by his name. Why? Because if you swear by his name, you'll keep it. Notice that. That's how serious this fellowship is. It says here, he is your praise. He is your Elohim. Yahweh is your praise. He is your Elohim who has done these great and awesome things for you which your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons in all, and now Yahweh, your Elohim, has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. So here's what we see. We see in the A portions here that we're dealing with. It's a call from the king for expected compliance from his vassals. That's the idea. Let me do this for you so I can show you where I've worked on this. It is the call of the king for expected compliance from his vassals. He is the great king. Israel are the lesser kings. So that's what you're finding. And the reason is, is because when you go down to the last section, the A apostrophe section, it's a call and reasoning for the vassal's compliance to the great king. It's the exact same theme, paralleling one another. 
Notice up in the B section, it's the fact that fellowship and special relationship and choosing the number one incentive uh, pre-call for humility. That's the idea. It gives them the incentives as to why they should humble themselves. He is the owner of heavens and the highest heavens, the earth and everything that's in it, and he's chosen to love you. That should be a pre-reason for the call of humility of why you would want to humble yourself. And then, notice in the B apostrophe section here, because there's none like him. He is true through and through. He is a loving provider. And this is the number two incentive of why you would want to be humbled to him, Post call, post the call to circumcise your heart. And then what is verse 16? Verse 16 is a call for humility. Conform your inner being to Yahweh's purposes. This is how you comply. Now here's what everybody says. I know we got to wrap this up. We're two minutes over, but Ruth's not giving me the stink eye, so we're okay. Um, You may sit here and say, good grief, man. Compliance to what God calls for me is impossible. It's not. Why? You have the indwelling Holy Spirit. He will teach you. He will guide you. He will lead you into all truth. You have a copy of the Word of God. Lord, have mercy on our nation because we have so many copies of the Bible floating around. And for some reason, they're not enough. We've got to come up with all these other new translations. But we have so many Bibles, it's ridiculous. We've got them rolling out of our ears. Yet the problem is, is we're not applying it. We may know it, but we're not applying it. And that's what this call is. Know what God has said and now apply it to your life. How do I do that? How do I get started? A real good place to start is first pray. God, if there's any unclean way in me, show it. Bring it to the surface. Bring my attention to it so that I can confess it before you and get it out of the way. You know what you're doing at that moment? You are submitting to him and claiming him to be the authority that can uproot whatever buried junk we've held on to because we can't do that. It is humbling ourselves before Him. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we can take these secondary applications and cling to them tightly, Lord. I pray that we would roll this over in our minds over and over again and think about Your great and awesome person how you are the creator of all things, how you are the owner of all things, how you love like no one else can love, like nothing else can love. All other love is a cheap imitation of your divine righteous love and that you are just and fair and true. And Father, our greatest position before you can be one of lowliness and humility. Thank you, God, that you are much, and I pray, God, we would be little. I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, everyone. Here's what we're going to do. Uh, Robert is going to be here to work off the last hour and a half he has of community service. And so what I'm going to ask is for these chairs here to be pushed against here like they always are. And then from, from the back, moving forward, whatever it is, if you've got a line of chairs around you, if you could pull them apart and then check them to see if the seat cushions are loose. If the seat cushion feels loose on this side only, If you wouldn't mind, set it aside so that Robert can work on it, and then we'll stack all the rest of the chairs and we'll put them away. Does that sound good? So, in fact, here he comes. Everybody say hi to Robert. Hold on. Everybody say hi, Robert. Woo! There you are, man. So that's what we're going to do. Thank you so much for your help with this.